And thanks, as always, when Stacy shares and so many of the gifted people in our congregation to lead us in worship. Our beginning text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. I want to begin again with a word of prayer here. Work our way through this passage of Scripture in a, in, in a way I want to move through smoothly and consistently. I feel like, and I feel this way every Sunday in my heart, and I pray with you that this is such a powerful word that can be so helpful to us truly as we leave this place and, and go back out into the world. But let's pray together. Lord Jesus, your word before us, your word, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God, is God. And then the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten. And Lord Jesus, may we realize in this moment that this word is you and that we will behold you and that we will worship and adore you. Forgive us of our sins in the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen. In this passage of scripture, and the title of the message is Praise the Lord Anyhow. I saw this on a church sign a long, long time ago out in front. And you know, you see these things and they, sometimes they just really resonate with you and stick with you. And this has been a long time ago. Praise the Lord Anyhow. And my prayer is that we contemplate on life through the life of the Apostle Paul and how that he handled all of the difficulties of life. In this passage, verses one through four, the apostle is sharing that we have been faithful with the ministry that God has given us. If you scan those verses there, we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, we have left behind the shameful, crafty, deceitful things of the world. If people do not receive our preaching, it's because the gospel has been veiled and hidden from them by the God, the little God of this age. But the apostle says, in spite of that, we're faithful. We're going to keep on. We're going to keep on. And then in verse 5 and 6, he says, God is faithful. I want to read those verses. This is so powerful here that gives us insight into the importance of the church, the importance of preaching, the importance of the gospel, and what takes place when people give their life to Jesus Christ. And so notice what he says in verses 5 and 6. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants or your slaves or workers, we are your workers for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. God said in the beginning, let there be light. And he says, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, friend, if you get anything here today, 
If there's any difference made in these moments, it will be because the light of God has shone in your heart. Amen. It will not be because of me. It will be because of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here is our key thought passage for these moments, and that is verse 7 and 8. I'll read them, and then I want to go back and amplify them a little bit. The apostle has said, we're faithful, God is faithful, but we have this treasure. And the treasure he's talking about is the gospel, the good news. It's been entrusted to us in earthen vessels. He's saying, we are fragile, but God has entrusted us with his holy, eternal, saving word. But we are fragile. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power, uh, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And notice how the Apostle Paul kind of thumbnails his life. We are hard pressed. I'm under a lot of stress, he was saying. Things are closing in on me from every side. But I'm not crushed. Praise the Lord anyhow. Then he says, glory to God, I'm already happy. Can't help it. But he says, we are perplexed, meaning I'm about as confused as they come. You know, that makes me feel good because I feel like I live every day in a state of confusion. Amen. Not really, but you know, there are those days like, what is going on here? I don't understand things. I don't know why it's happening this way. The apostle says, we are perplexed, but you know, I'm not in despair. I'm not in despair. I'm not down. Praise the Lord anyhow. We are persecuted, but we're not by ourselves. We're not forsaken. Praise the Lord anyhow. We are struck down, but thank God we may be down, but we are not out. Amen. We may be down, but we are not out. We are not destroyed. Praise the Lord anyhow. Now I want to share three great challenge areas, and some of this will mirror last Sunday's sermon, of the way that we face difficulties and how we can face those difficulties in Christ as the Apostle Paul did, and praise the Lord anyhow beginning with the most obvious, and that is, number one, life can be difficult. It can be a difficult experience. Way back in the 70s, Scott Peck wrote a book entitled The Road Less Traveled, and the opening page said life can be difficult, and it became a mantra in nearly a cult following. The Road Less Traveled. Life can be difficult. The Apostle Paul here is saying... I'm under a lot of pressure. Sometimes I don't really understand what's going on. I am persecuted. I am struck down. I am struck down. And let me give you a sense of the kind of life that he lived. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle writes the things that he has gone through. And that is, listen to this beginning with verse 24. And I don't know, is our computer froze again? I don't know if our computer's froze. It freezes sometimes. Life can be difficult. And in verses 24 he says, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. 39 stripes with leather thongs, 
with lead weights in the end of it five times. Three times I was beaten with rods and how heartbreaking in the Middle East they still beat people with rods. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. I don't believe I would have survived that. Floating in the ocean a day and a night. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. God blessing, he says, and beside the other things which comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all of the churches. Now, this man had a difficult life, amen? He is a miracle. Two-thirds of the New Testament written by this man by the power of the Holy Spirit for us. And how in the world could he praise the Lord anyhow and live with that difficulty? Well, there are several options that we have, and some of us, we employ these things, and I am not belittling any of them. But when we are facing difficulty, sometimes we kind of begin to comfort ourselves by looking at it and saying, well, you know, things could be worse. Well, my answer is yes. And other times, I pray not. We've all seen some bad things in our life, and we could honestly say, it could be worse. But all of us have seen some things in our life, and we pray to God that it never gets worse than that. Amen. So things could be worse is okay, but it it will not get us there, friends. Think positive, positive thinking. I am a great proponent of positive thinking. Great proponent of it. And I think about the little boy that came in one day and told his parents, progress reports are coming out tomorrow. I'm getting an F in math. And I just wanted y'all to be prepared. And his daddy said, son, don't be that way. Be positive. Okay, daddy, I'm positive I'm getting an F in math tomorrow. (laughs) Positive thinking, listen, I'm for it. Uh, Listen, I have studied it. I ought to have a doctor's degree in positive thinking, but it will only take us so far. But there's a third option. And this is an option that you would be aware of, but I love the language that's been given to me through certain devotional writers, and that is when life is difficult, I pray that it is a situation that things could be worse. I pray that positive thinking is a real asset, but there comes times when we need to adjust the sails of our life. I came across this many, many years ago. I used to read Guidepost devotional book every day. I've got so many devotional books, I've just focused now on the open windows. Carol Kuykendall, a very creative, gifted writer, written many books and was in the ground floor in the 70s of founding the Mops Ministry, Mothers of Preschoolers. They must have felt desperate but now they've expanded it to all age groups and it's an international ministry. And she wrote a devotion one day that she was sitting on a hillside overlooking a beautiful lake 
I can't help but imagine from the part of the state that I came up in, sitting on a hillside looking over Lake Lanier, and all these beautiful little recreational sailboats are sailing around. And she's just looking at them. They're small boats, beautiful sails and all of this. And then it dawns on her, the wind is only blowing one way. But the sailboats are going in all kinds of directions. And she came to the conclusion that people have come to for centuries. And that is, it's not, it is not the direction that the wind blows. It's the set of the sail that determines our direction. And there are experiences in life where we need to adjust the sails. Or we're going to be blown off course. Oh my goodness, the incredible poem from centuries ago, Ella Wheeler Wilcox. I believe the title of it is Self Same Winds. One ship drives east and another drives west. But it's the self same winds that blow. It's the set of the sails, not the gales, which tells us the way to go. Like the winds of the seas are the winds of fate as we voyage along through life. It's the set of a soul that decides its goal, not the calm or the strife. The apostle Paul knew that there were those experiences in life that he needed to adjust the sails or he wasn't going to make it. That's that beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 10. It was one of the theme verses of the Sunlight Hour years ago, that radio ministry. The Apostle Paul, Philippians 4, 10 through 13, is writing thanks to the church because they have been able to send him some support. But in verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, humbled, do without, and I know how to abound and be up. Everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so the Apostle Paul can say, I'm under a lot of stress, but they're not going to crush me. I'm kind of confused right now, but I'm not giving up. I'm persecuted right now, but God has not forsaken me. And I am struck down, but I am not out because I have adjusted the sails of my life and I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have resisted the temptation to do a catalog of events, but let me simply say this. It's very personal. Many of you know the chapters. But in the past nine years of my life, the wind has blown in so many different directions as a wonder my hair's not standing straight up, I could even part it. And if I were to begin to give you the outline, and I won't, but it was amazing how many times I thought I was in the right place and, the, and God's wind blew and the next thing I know I was in a different place. But I'm gonna tell you, 
The last time the wind blew, I wound up in the right place and that was here, friends, at Sweat Memorial Baptist Church. I could have been a lot of different places. None of them were bad. It was just God said, that's not where I want you. That's not where I want you. I'm gonna blow the wind this way. You need to adjust the sails of your soul and you will be where I want you to be. And oh my goodness, I love it. We've got a member, we've got families here. We've got a family right now. They're experiencing health crisis, thank God. It doesn't appear to be you know, detrimental or anything like that, but it, these, these things are really challenging. And some of you that have been friends of theirs for years, I'm not mentioning their names, I wouldn't mind it. And, uh, but in conversations, he'll always say something like this. Preacher, they say there's a storm coming, but it's gonna blow over. Isn't that awesome? There's a storm coming, but it's going to be going to blow over. Life can be difficult, and how can we praise the Lord? We adjust the sails. And let me say this, the pessimist fears the wind will blow. The optimist hopes it'll blow his way. The realist adjusts the sails. And right quickly, because so much of this is so important, this is what the grief process is all about. Grief is best defined as separation anxiety. It's the angst that we feel when we fear we're about to lose something or that we have lost something. And whatever the grief, whatever the event, whatever the magnitude, there is a cycle of the soul that to positively and healthily deal with that grief we go through. The first one's shock. And then we bounce around between guilt what could have I done different? Is this my fault? Then there's anger. I am so mad that this happened. But eventually out there, we need to arrive at a place of acceptance. And that is, I am going to reorient my life. I am going to adjust my sails. And I'm going to go with the wind that God is blowing in my life. Life can be difficult quickly. People can be difficult Amen. I've got all kinds of books in my library about difficult people, irregular people, and I've taught a lot of seminars on how to get along with them. But the Apostle Paul had a lot of difficult people in his life. Not only did they beat the fire out of the man, but they betrayed him on every hand. And everywhere he went, he had to deal with irregular, difficult, unusual people. And one of the things that's been said of the Apostle Paul is wherever he went to preach, the first thing he did was check out the jail because he knew he was going to spend the night there. They were going to put him in jail and we pray that he would not get another beating. Can't wait to see the Apostle Paul in heaven. Now he's a hero of the faith, friends, along many others. He's a hero of the faith. But go just across the page, however your scriptures are laid out to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. There's a terrible thing happened in the church at Corinth. Studying the commentaries, there are several ideas as to what has happened there. 
some immorality that exceeds even what a pagan would do or some type of power play. Everywhere Paul went, they tried to discredit his apostolic credentials. And so something has happened there and it has traumatized the church and it has so traumatized the apostle Paul that he says, I had determined that I was gonna visit you again in Corinth, but I, I am so heartbroken, I don't wanna come right now. I don't wanna come with tears in my eyes. I wanna come when there's joy in my heart. And listen to what he says about how to handle the situation that has happened there and somebody has traumatized the church. Verse five and following. But if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me alone, but all of you to some extent. Not to be too severe. You following me? This punishment which was inflicted and this person had been disciplined by the church this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient. It's enough for such a man. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. And then in verse 11, he says, and we need to do this because if we don't, Satan will take advantage of this situation. He'll take advantage of it and will do even more harm to the church. So the Apostle Paul had a plan A. And that is, when he was dealing with difficult people, plan A was to love, plan A was to forgive, plan A was to comfort them. I read a phrase many years ago, it's one of those that has stayed in my heart, be gentle. Everyone that you meet is fighting a hard battle. We don't know what's going on in anybody's life. And they may be difficult, but we need to be gentle. Now, if you were here last week and you heard the steps from Lewis Smead's Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts that We Don't Deserve, you know there comes a point that the only way we can be successful in that is if both parties will come together in humility and come together forgiving and loving. The Apostle Paul had those people that would not let him love them. You hear me? He had those people that would not let him forgive them and comfort them. They were obstinate. They were rebellious. They were blasphemers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. And so the apostle had a plan B, and that is there comes an occasion where we have to exercise tough love. And I'm gonna tell you, the apostle said of Hymenaeus and Alexander who had done him great harm, he said, I've just turned them over to the Lord. And this is just so shocking. And he also said of Hymenaeus, I've turned him over to Satan. Not to the destruction of his soul, not to cast him into hell, but you read the passage and it says, 
maybe then he will learn not to blaspheme the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? If we really love somebody and they are difficult and our hearts are broken as the Apostle Paul, we will do everything we can to be reconciled, but then there may come a point where we have to pray, Lord, whatever it takes, get their attention. I love them. I care for them. Whatever it takes, I wonder if the prodigal's father didn't pray a prayer like that. Lord, whatever it's going to take, bring my boy home. And when he woke up in the pig pen, that's what it took. And he came home. Whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes, please bring them back to me. People can be difficult, but oh my goodness, we can praise the Lord and seek God in the relationship. And then the last. <laughs> you know, I edit my notes over the past couple of days after our wonderful projectionists get a hold of it. I had written point number three as you can be difficult. You can be difficult. But I changed it. God spoke to my heart. We can be difficult, amen? I can be difficult every once in a while. We can be hard on ourselves. Oh my goodness, I hope young people have not lost touch with Walt Kelly's cartoon strip, Pogo, so famous to this part of the world of the possum in the Okefenokee Swamp. And one of the most famous strips is where Pogo, the possum, and Porky Pine walking through the swamp and Porky Pine says to Pogo, ah, oh, the beauty of the primeval forest gets me in the heart. Pogo says it gets me in the feet. And in the next part of the strip, we see the pollution and desecration of the beauty of the swamp. And Pogo can't even walk through the swamp. And Pogo says, we have met the enemy, and he is us. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Did you know that? Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. And here's where we go to the Apostle Paul. Paul was, before he got saved, I'm going to try to use the name Saul as his pre-conversion name. He was a hot mess, friends. He was out of control. He was about the most angry, vicious, difficult person in society at that time. Persecuting the church. Acts chapter 8 and 9, chapter 9 tells about the Apostle Paul that he was breathing threats and slaughters and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And in chapter 8 it says, Saul made havoc of the church entering into every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Saul was one bad dude. And why? An old preacher from England, J.D. Jones, has a sermon entitled The Difficulty of Escaping Jesus. And he said Paul's problem was number one was the failure of his religion, legalism, dotting every I and crossing every T, and he just couldn't be good enough. It'll make you miserable if you try to be perfect, amen? 
It'll make you miserable. Secondly, was the lives of the Christians as he encountered them. They had a joy that he didn't have. Thirdly, was the death of Stephen. Oh, please go read the death of Stephen. It will break your heart as they stoned this man to death for preaching about Jesus Christ. And as he kneels in that stone pit, he is praying, Lord, do not lay this to their charge. And he says, and I see heaven opened and I see the Son of Man. And he says, receive my spirit. And he died. And Saul is sitting there and he's holding the robes of those who stoned him. J.D. Jones says, that the testimony of the reputation of Jesus was always on his heart. And he was taking it out on everybody. But on the Damascus Road, his salvation experience, God let him know, I got a different plan for you. I got a different plan for you. And so I say, when life is difficult, adjust the sails. If people are difficult, love them, love them, love them, even to the point of saying, Lord Jesus, whatever it takes, bring them back. And if you are unhappy, you are lost, you don't know what life is all about, God has a plan for you. Now, bear with me in a moment of silliness. There's a concept called Joe Harry's window from psychology. Two guys came up with it named Joe and Harry. They were real creative, weren't they? Joe Harry's window. They say that all of us are like a window pane that has four panes in it. They, they indicate the sides of who we are. The first part of the pain, and I'll just use myself, is the me, the Bill Young, that only I know. You don't know that, Bill Young. Then there is the Bill Young that only you know. Please don't tell me. <laughs> Please don't tell me. <laughs> And now here's where the silliness comes in. I could tell you so many stories. But I was walking into the church in Richmond, Virginia, pastored there in the, I think, the 90s. Let me just say, decades ago. If you were here last week, decades ago. And this lady stopped me on the way in, and she said, you know who you look like? I get that all the time. I'm somebody's daddy, somebody's brother, somebody's son, somebody's uncle. I tell people, I got a generic face. Well, this lady said, you know who you look like? And I said, who? And she said, you look like that guy on Magnum P.I. <laughs> now, I never let a moment get by he was probably a little short dude with a mustache. <laughs> but I said, you mean Tom Selleck? Yes, Tom Selleck. That's who you look like. Why are you laughing? <laughs> then, this is, I had a little girl ask her parents one day, does Brother Bill make up those stories? <laughs> no, these are true. They happen. 
So I go into church. Here I, had to, I have to sit on the platform so that when we sing, I sing loud. I drown out the choir. Well, when this service was over, this person leaned over and says, you know who you sound like? And I said, who? She said, Willie Nelson. On the way home, I'm telling my wife, you will not believe what happened to me today. I was told that I look like Tom Selleck and sing like Willie Nelson. You know what's coming. She said, Bill, you are so confused. They told you you sing like Tom Selleck and look like Willie Nelson. Oh, my Lord, I need somebody to keep me straight. <laughs> but then there's the me that both of us know, the pastor. And then there's that part that not any of us have seen yet. And that's who God has for us to be. Amen? Amen. God's got something. God's, he got a plan for Saul. Can you believe it? He's got a plan for all of us. And so I say, praise the Lord, anyhow. Life can be difficult, adjust the sails. People can be difficult, love them, love them, love them. And we can be difficult. Discover God's plan for your life. We sing a hymn of invitation. However God speaks to your heart, I invite you 